0: We are going to be uh, wrapping up our study of the, a portion of Elijah's life, of when the brook runs dry. We've looked at a, a few weeks since the turn of the year, and we're going to wrap up today, and it's going to be in 1 Kings chapter 18. Uh, before I kind of get there, a, a couple things that I want to let you know. Uh, we're wrapping this up uh, this morning, and then we're going to start into our uh, main study in the year 2023, which is going to be in the book of Hebrews. So if, if there's any Hebrews lovers out there, we're, we're going to be taking about 30 weeks uh, on and off throughout the year, and we're going to be studying pretty in-depth, not like zoomed completely in, but pretty in-depth the book of Hebrews. If you go onto our website, fccgrason.com, you will see at the top, there'll be a banner that has the home screen. It'll you know give online, FCC online. There is now an active tab that says Hebrews study. If you open that up, it'll take you to another portion of our website, which has all kinds of study resources for Hebrews. Gives you background, gives you major themes, uh, just all types of information, which is going to be really, uh, really handy for us as we go through the book of Hebrews. Now, today we're going to wrap this up and we're going to look at a message that I'm titling Between Two Opinions. Between two opinions. And out of 1 Kings 18, verses 16 through 39, we find this story of Elijah. God finally tells Elijah that, hey, I need you to go, and I need you to confront Ahab. It's time. So he's been at Cherith. He's been at Zarephath. He's been about three years, coming and building up into this moment. How many of and this is going to show some of our age in here? How many of you would you consider being in the midst of a trial for three years? A long time. Like, I mean, some of us we look back on three years, and we're like, when I'm giving giving advice to my daughter, you know, I'm like, honey, it's it's just three years. You know, at like 23, it's like, well, that's, that's math, and that's hard, and Ben can't do that in his head from the stage, but that's a significant portion of my life <laughs> at 23. At just a little bit older than 23, a lot of us would look back and go, eh, it's really not that much. But when we think about consistent trials that we face over and over and over and over again, three years Sounds like a pretty long time to do that, right? To be outside of where you want to be. I can't say that it would be outside of where God wants you, because we find out that the dry times, these wilderness times in Elijah's life, turn out to be exactly where God wants him to be. Now, I'm not going to read the entire passage of 1 Kings uh, 18, 16 through 39, uh, that's, listen, Chop for Time this week, if you're a subscriber to our YouTube channel, shameless plug here, uh, there's a lot of stuff that I'm not going to be able to cover, and we'll be discussing some of that if, if you're so inclined to be one of our tens of viewers each week, uh, you, can, you can go to uh, Chop for Time on our YouTube <laughs> channel. Uh, but there's going to be a particular passage that I'm going to kind of focus in on today. But I want to start with this. I want to start with this statement. Vision in your life provides purpose for the pain, the moments of pain that we go through. Vision, godly vision, in your life gives purpose to the moments of pain in our lives. For those of you who are in here that that have followed Christ and, and really become dependent on Him, can you imagine navigating some of the things that you navigate in life without Jesus Christ? I mean, I, I can't. Honestly, I can't. I don't, I, I don't know how people do it without Jesus. But it's that vision, that God-placed, God-breathed vision in your life, that gives purpose to the moments of pain that you endure. Isn't that what Hebrews tells us? That it was for the joy that was set before him that Christ endured the cross. You see, it's about being on that mission, that vision that God has in your life. Now, in this passage, Elisha poses a question. He goes before King Ahab, And he's developed a reputation because Ahab says, Oh, it's you, O troubler of Israel. Elijah says, Not me, man. You did it. And then we find this at Mount Carmel. We find this pinnacle moment in this story where Elijah says, Listen, we're going to have a showdown. But in verse 21, here's what he says. He says, Elijah went before the people and said, How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. How long will you waver between two opinions? That's the crux. That's the the transition question here that everything's hinging on. And can I submit to you that that's no different in our lives. It's not changed for us either. How long will we waver between two gods? Because he says that if the Lord, Yahweh, is God, then follow Him. But if Baal is God, then follow Him. Make up your mind. And I think so many of us face that same question as well. In week one of this study into the life of Elijah, Devin challenged us to live counterculturally, because we saw where Elijah went before King Ahab to call out the sin and the disobedience that this king was leading the nation of God into and was allowing to take place. It's no different for you and I we are to live counterculturally as well. We are to be obedient to God no matter what is going on around us. No matter what laws, no matter what trends, no matter what the soup of the day is culturally, you and I are called to be obedient to Jesus Christ. Amen? We are called, no matter the situation, no matter the circumstance, no matter the trial, we are to be obedient to Jesus Christ. And then Elijah, via the command of the Lord, begins to call out the sin of Ahab. And he says that as a punishment for this unrepentant sin, there's going to be a drought come upon the land for three years. Now here's something, I I don't want to spend a lot of time here, but it's really important for us to remember, because I think that as the Apostle Paul says, that a, a lot of times... Our voices as Christians come across as clanging symbols and, clang- and, and a sounding brass, right? Because what they do is people hear us talking, they see us calling out sin, they see us trying to introduce Scripture, they see us and hear us do all of these things. But the one thing that they're often missing is actually seeing in life that is evident of doing the same things we're calling out. Like we're we're calling out this sin and we're saying you need to be obedient to God, but what if our lives are compromised in the area of obedience? A clanging cymbal, sounding brass, right? And the world has become tone deaf to the message because we're losing credibility. God has called us to live counterculturally, God has called us to call out sin. He has called us to be the voice of truth when it comes to disobedience. But folks, if you and I aren't living the message we're preaching, then we've just become sounding brass, clanging cymbals. And actually, worse than that, then we are representing Jesus Christ as being a hypocrite. So we have to make sure that we are living what we're preaching. We're living what we're teaching. And there's something behind what we're saying. And and I I said that to, to kind of connect it here. Because now we have Elijah standing boldly in front of 850 prophets. 450 of Baal, 400 of Asherah, which, ironically enough, Baal is the God that was responsible for the harvest. For nature, for rain, for things of that, you know, that sort. And now they've gone three years without that. But he's standing there and he makes this bold proclamation How long will you waver between two opinions? And I believe Elijah was able to call out the prophets at this point because he was living proof of the question that he was asking. When you look back, Elijah, what he had gone through, he was obedient to God. And he stood in front of the king and proclaimed the drought. And then, this moment, listen, I don't know about y'all, but that would be one of those moments where I would be tempted to kind of puff out my chest. You know, kind of swell up a little bit, like, look what I did. There would have been an element of pride that he would have had to fight in that that moment. After that, it's like, listen, God told me to say that there's not going to be any rain, and it's actually not raining. I am the man. But then, where does God take him? Like God has just given him one of the grandest stages in the world at that time, an audience with the king. And then he takes him to a brook. He takes him to a river. He takes him to a creek where he is doing absolutely nothing. Like, he's not even getting his own food. You talk about humbling, and you'll never convince me that at moments during this time of where ravens were dropping food to him, and he was doing absolutely nothing, that he didn't have to fight doubt. In his mind. Am I really where God wants me to be? Did I really hear the Lord when he told me to go and proclaim the drought? Am I really doing what I'm supposed to be doing? I am in this broken state. I'm being humbled. My pride is being stripped from me. And I don't know if I'm in the right. That had to be one of the thoughts at some point. There had to be that question of God, am I really doing the right? Am I really serving the right God here? Am I doing the right thing? And then God moves him to Zarephath, and he keeps him. He's no longer dependent upon birds, okay? Which is a good thing, I would think. But he takes him, and who's he dependent upon now? A widow who is completely destitute at this point, right? Like, she's got enough for like one meal. and doesn't even classify as a meal. Like, listen, we're going to have a little snack, me and my son, And then we're going to die. Not only was this still a humbling experience to depend upon someone else, but this lady was incredibly poor. She would have been at the bottom of the social ladder as being a widow. He was in a pagan nation. It wasn't like God took him to church and was like, here, hang out here. They've at least got communion wafers if you can get to them through the plastic. No, he was just like, here, here's a pagan nation. They don't even believe in the same God you believe in. This God that I'm telling you about, this God that's me that's giving you this instruction, I'm going to take you to a very dangerous place. A place that doesn't even believe in me. You'll never convince me that Elijah didn't at some point experience doubt. But yet God provides with grain and oil that never run dry. And he begins to develop relationship with this widow and her son as they're they're housing him, they're providing for him. And then what happens? The son dies. And you'll never convince me that as he is packing this boy's lifeless body up the stairs to the room where he stayed, there wasn't doubt. God, are you sure? And we even hear it when he gets up there into the private place where he spends with God. He vocalizes, God, why is this happening? Did you bring me here so this boy could die too? See, I wanted to provide that recap because Elijah's standing in front of the prophets at this point, and he is asking them this question, how long will you waver between two opinions? And he can do so. He can be bold in God. He can have that courage in God to ask that question, to call out that disobedience. Why? Because he's lived it. He can back it up. He's experienced it. It's not something that he has sat in his house and heard someone talk about and then go out and say, you know what? They're exactly right. This world's going to hell. It needs to repent. So I'm going to go out and I'm going to start calling out every bit of sin that I can see in anyone else's lives. Elijah had lived through the trials. He had lived through brokenness. He had lived through the crucible. He had lived through this refining. And now he's able to stand and say, basically, choose you this day whom you will serve, as Joshua records for us. See, it's important for us to understand that it is our vision, that God, it's God's will in our lives that gives purpose to the moments of pain. Now, the danger that many of us have Myself included, and I don't think anyone here is immune to this. The danger is us camping out for far too long in the the trials, in the tests, in the wilderness, in the dry times. Because sometimes we get so caught up in there, and then we begin to give ourselves over to doubt. We begin to give ourselves over to fear. And we're not recalling First John 4:18 that says, "There is no fear in love, for perfect love casts out all fear." And then ultimately, we begin to give ourselves completely over to the lies of the enemy, and we become defeated. We fall into despair. And we lose sight. of I, I want to read Romans 53 through5 for us this morning. We can rejoice. Remember that. Everybody say the word rejoice with me. Rejoice. Rejoice. All right, we're tracking together then. We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials. You ever had a problem or a trial that just stops you right dead in your track? And you're like, praise God. Hallelujah. Not me. For we know that they help us develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character. And character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment. For we know how dearly God loves us. Because He has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with His love. Man, that's such an amazing passage of Scripture, isn't it? That our problems, our trials help us to develop endurance. Perseverance is another translation that you'll find of this. And endurance or perseverance develops strength of character. And then character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. You know, one of the things that we say and we publish around here all the time, as kind of like the little tagline for FCC Grayson, is that your story isn't over yet. Hope starts here. And this is exactly what we mean when we say hope starts here. Because hope in salvation through Jesus Christ is the only source that will never be shaken. That's the only source of hope that will never lead you into disappointment. Can I, let, let me suggest this to you. Just let me throw this out at you. If you are walking in an area of your life right now that is leading you to disappointment, then the hope of your salvation is absent from that area. If you're finding a place in your life where you are walking in disappointment, then the hope of salvation has not impacted that part of your life yet. You've not surrendered it to Jesus Christ. Because his hope will never leave you disappointed. Amen? His hope will never leave you di- And this story, such a beautiful, powerful story, and kind of comical in some ways. Because they, they agree to the terms. They're like, let's. Elijah takes them up onto the mountain. He says, let's uh, set up this altar. We're going to set up a couple altars here, okay? And the God that answers with fire, that's who's going to be the true God. Deal? Deal. Prophets are like, that sounds like a good deal to me. Deal. So he's like, listen, you go first. And they start doing their thing. This is kind of early in the morning. They begin to cry out. They begin to do all these things. They even begin to cut themselves at one point until blood begins to flow. (laughs) The Bible says, as was their custom. Really? Like, that was your custom in your religion? No thanks, man. But then Elijah, talk about boldness and maybe, maybe just a touch of sarcasm. It's like, oh, what's happening? Oh, nothing. huh Didn't see that one coming. M- maybe, maybe your God's gone on a trip. Maybe, maybe he's busy somewhere else. And one of the, in the Hebrew inflection of it, maybe he even gives this indication. Maybe your God's gone to the bathroom. I'm not making that up. And then, then they just cry out louder. They just start hollering and screaming and everything, and nothing's happening. And then Elijah says, all right, now it's my turn. So he took 12 stones to represent the 12 tribes. And then he digs a trench. And he's like, now, go get a bunch of buckets of water. What are they in the middle of? A drought? A drought? Like, so, I mean, water is a pretty precious resource at this point. And he's like, no, douse it again. Put some more on there. Put some more on there. And then inevitably, God answers by fire. So, I mean, just consumes everything. Like, just turns everything to ash. And we see the prophets just fall to them. You see, we've journeyed with Elijah to this place where he has stepped back in. He has proclaimed the drought and then he's faced trial after trial after trial. He's endured hardship after hardship. After, and he's, he's been at war within himself. He's had to battle doubt. He's had to battle fear. He's had to battle disappointment. But yet, he stands at this moment in the will of God, fully and completely, and God answers. Church, I don't know what it may look like for you right now. I don't know if you're in the midst of the most difficult time of your life, or if you're just coming out of it. I don't know if you've, you may not have even started the journey into it yet. But one thing I can tell you is stay grounded and focused on Jesus Christ. And when you have that vision in your life, no matter what pain comes, no matter what moment you face, that vision will give you purpose. Because God will never leave you. He'll never forsake you. We, we pulled from the Psalms last week where he is Never seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging for bread. We see in Second Corinthians one four where it says that God comforts us in our afflictions, so that when others around us, when they're hurt, when they're in affliction, we can comfort them with the same love. And I don't know what the mountain moment looks like for you. I don't know what the pinnacle moment looks like. I've never been able to call down fire on anyone. Don't mistake that as that I try that often. Okay? <laughs> just, a, just a couple times. All right, One hand. One hand. But make sure your focus remains on God. Because vision will give purpose to the moments of pain in your life. Very quickly this morning, just four takeaways. Four takeaways that I think that we can see from the life of of Elijah in this story. And the first one is that when we're in the will of God, it's always going to be for our good and His glory. When we are in the will of God, it's always going to be for our ultimate good and His glory. Now, a little caveat here. Oftentimes, God's definition of good and our definition of good are polar opposites. Amen? Amen? But know that if you're in the will of God, He will not leave you. He will not forsake you. Isaiah tells us that how could He forget us? How could He forsake us? For He has scribed us in the palms of His hands. Next, I think the other takeaway that we can find here is that God requires absolute allegiance to Him. God doesn't want you wavering between two opinions. If you read in Revelation 2, you'll see the seven churches and the one at Ephesus fall away. They, they had this, this good work still going on, but they had lost their one true love. The church at Laodicea, God said, I'll spew out of my mouth because of your lukewarmness. How long will you waver between two opinions? Yahweh is God, then follow Him. And I think that the question we face, because I think that there's a lot of Baals in our lives. I think our relationships can be God's. I think our jobs can be God's. I think the, uh, the stuff that we have, the car that we drive, the house that we live in, believe sometimes our kids can be our gods. There's all types of little g gods that we can have. And I, th- I think that that's the question that we have today. It's not, are you, are you serving like a, a false pagan god? It's, are you serving these little idols that are taking you away from Yahweh? And I think he's asking us, how long will you waver between two opinions? Because he requires complete allegiance to to him he's given everything of himself to us more than we could ever give back I think the next thing that we have to remember the takeaway is that the prayer of faith in our lives is our most effective weapon I think the most the f- most effective tool that we have as a believer is the prayer of faith has anybody ever like reached out to you and asked you to pray and you do, please do. If they reach out, don't just message them back or tell them on the phone, hey, I- I'll pray, and then don't. Like Whenever I get that, I- I've tried to develop this habit of practice for me personally, is when somebody asks me for prayer over something, my response back is, I'm stopping now to pray. That way I'm making a commitment to you. And I do, I stop right then and pray. But have you ever had that that thing of where you're trying to respond back? You're like, absolutely, we'll be praying. And then you want to ask the question, is there anything else I can do? Like, it, it almost feels like sometimes our prayer isn't enough. Like, yes, please be there. Please do anything that you can, but never feel like prayer is the least that you can do. Right? Prayer is the absolute most that you can do. Because the prayer of faith, we see that with Elijah, not only resurrecting a young man through the prayer of faith, but also calling down fire through the prayer of faith and proving that Yahweh is the one true God. And then the last takeaway is never underestimate the power of a totally dedicated life. Never underestimate the power of a totally dedicated life. I want you to think for just a moment. If, if, if you're here and you've followed the Lord for a while, if you've been a Christian for a bit, I want you to think about some of the people in your life that impacted you in your walk of faith. I mean, I think Christy mentioned a couple of them during her offering thought. I was, going, I was going back through my, uh, some pictures earlier this week, and there was a picture of, of Ken and myself whenever I was first here. I was like, my goodness, I miss that guy. You know, I was having a conversation with Roy a little bit earlier, and he said he was such a smart man. I said, yeah, he was. Far smarter than I was. But he never made me feel that way. Right? Like in conversation, like he, never, he knew he was way smarter than me. But he never made me feel that way in conversation. Now in board games, it was a completely different story. I think that's where he got his point across. (laughs) But just think about men and women of God who have truly made an impact on your life and realize that God is giving you people that He's surrounding you with that you can have that type of impact on them as well. Never underestimate the power of a life that's totally dedicated to God. I'm going to ask the praise team, if they would, to come back up. Once again today, I think you and I are facing the exact same question that Elijah was posing to the prophets, to the people of Israel at that time. How long will you waver between two opinions? If God is God, if Yahweh is God, then you've got to give everything you have to Him. I mean, you've got to sell out to Him. That doesn't mean quit everything, drop everything, but that does mean to examine everything that you do and go, is God getting glory out of everything I'm doing? Is He primary in everything that I'm doing? Is while I'm doing this, am I bringing God glory while I'm doing this? And I would just encourage you again, if you're facing difficult times, if you're facing a trial or a test or a place that you feel like, God, I don't know what's going on here. I don't know what's happening. Understand that when your focus is on Him and when you're in the middle of God's will, then it's that vision that brings purpose to this season of pain in your life.